Welcome back to the podcast on Germany. My name is Jacob, and this is episode 20, Battle of Vaskis, part 1. Today's episode will be on the opening moves of the confrontation between Ariovistus, the king of the Swabi, and controller of the region of Alsace, and everyone's favorite, Julius Caesar. Earlier, we discussed the messages that were being passed between Caesar and Ariovistus. This was Caesar's attempt to get the Swabi to back down in their advances and their reign of terror in Gaul, and to stop bringing more and more Germans across the Rhine. However, these messages solved nothing, as both Ariovistus and Caesar quickly switched from being chums to going at each other's throats. Now Caesar... Hearing that more Germans are preparing to cross the Rhine is marching north with six legions. The battle that we will discuss today and next week will decide who will control Eastern Gaul. Germanic tribes or the Romans. Now, the Battle of Vaskis actually begins in a race. Both Caesar and Ariovistus leave their camps around the same time, and start marching towards each other. However, their object is the town of Visontio. Visontio was the largest town in the Sequani territory. It was well fortified, it contained a large supply depot, and it would give a massive advantage to whoever held it. So if Ariovistus beat Caesar to the town then Caesar would be caught off guard and may even have to fight a battle that was not to his liking. So the question was, who is going to win this race? Well, Caesar decides not to risk it at all, and he goes all out. He force marches his army day and night in order to reach the town before the Swabi can. And he does. In fact, by the time he reaches the town of Vincentio, Ariovistus is still miles away. So at this point, Caesar has won the initiative. He's won the race. He can rest his army, he can resupply it, and he can plan out the campaign to end Ariovistus' control of Alsace. However, a problem starts to rise in his legions. At first, it probably was nothing more than a couple of rumors being passed by the merchants. Stories about what these Germans had been doing. About their feats. But eventually, these small stories start to spread. It caused a wildfire of panic in the Roman army. Caesar reports stories such as, quote, Germans were men of huge stature of incredible valor and practice in arms, that oftentimes the Gauls could not bear even their countenance and the fierceness of their eyes, unquote. And these stories about the deadliness of the Germans spreads throughout the Roman legions. Caesar says it starts with his political allies, those with little military training. They start panicking, start trying to leave the army, plan to escape back south to safety. And it spreads. His own men believing the stories that they're hearing 
it spreads to the point that even the leadership, the military leadership under Caesar has doubts as to if this army would move to take on the Germans. Caesar's only hope of defeating this was to destroy the panic immediately and completely. He could not risk a seed of it surviving and take on Ariovistus. Because if he did, his entire army would rout in an instant. So what's he to do? Well, he decides that he needs to work on the leadership first. He has to get that back under his thumb. The rest will follow. And so he summons all of the centurions, all of his leaders, to a meeting. And he brutally reprimands them for their panic. For their disbelief in themselves, in the army, and in Caesar. He reminds them that Ariovistus had come to Rome for aid when he first arrived. And that Ariovistus could still be talked to, could still be negotiated with. But that even if he refused Caesar's offer, who cared? The men would do their duty, and they could win. No, they would win. He reminds them that not only have they beaten a larger, more powerful foe called the Sembrai, but that the Suebi have been beaten before by the Helvetii. And Caesar and his army had no problem with the Helvetii. So what does that say about the Suebi? He continues discussing how Ariovistus won because of his cleverness, because of his strategical thinking, not because his men were invincible, not because nothing could kill them. It was because he planned out his battles ahead of time. He took advantage of the Gauls. And then he deals with their problems about logistics, about the terrain, and says, look, we can deal with this. We have it covered. That's my worry. That is our allies' worry to bring us grain. That's not your worry. And then finally, to wrap it all up, he berates the men, saying that he would leave them all here. And he would march against Ariovistus with only the 10th Legion, if he had to. And he would do what he was duty-bound to do in order to protect Rome from this threat. Now, the reason why he mentions the 10th Legion was because they had suffered the least in this panic. And they had been a part of Caesar's command since the beginning. He considered them his most loyal of troops. Caesar has just told his army, look, I don't need you guys. If need be, I'll take one of my six legions and I'll go fight Aravisus because these guys have my back. I trust them. They will do their duty for Rome. Now, his speech, while extremely critical, was also very persuasive. The tenth, of course, was extremely proud of what Caesar had said about them. And I'm sure they spent quite a bit of time rubbing it into the other legions' faces. But it also worked on the other legions. Because immediately they came back to Caesar... And they apologized for their disbelief and promised to stay loyal to Caesar and trust in his leadership. They would follow Caesar to go fight these Germans. They believed that they could win. Now, Caesar 
have been able to save his army from completely disintegrating in this moment. And he'll march his troops, and he'll go, and he'll bring Ariovistus to heal. Now, this is nice and all for Caesar, but where is Ariovistus? Where is his army? We talked about how there was this race to the town of Visantio. But where is his army during this panic? Why aren't they taking advantage of Caesar's problems? Well, luckily enough for Caesar, Ariovistus and his army sat and waited for Caesar to come to him. In fact, they were about 50 miles away from the town. It seems that having lost the race to the city, Ariovistus had decided to wait, fortify his camp, and force Caesar to come to him. Now this gave Ariovistus a few advantages. First, he did not have to stretch out his supply line. His supply line was going to be 50 miles shorter than Caesar's. Second, it allowed him time in order to gather more troops. Hopefully, maybe get those men from across the Rhine. And third, it avoided a confrontation until he was ready for it. If what Caesar was saying about Ariovistus was true, about how he relied on his cunning and strategy, then sitting back and letting Caesar come to him gives Ariovistus a chance to study the land, to figure out what he wants to do. Now, had he known about what Caesar was going through, I have no doubt that Ariovistus would have taken advantage of Caesar's problems and wiped the Roman legions off the board. But there was no way for him to know in time in order to take advantage of it. He was too far away. And so Caesar finally gathers his troops and he marches. The army is behind him once more. And a week after leaving the city, He's finally only a couple of miles away, and the Battle of Vasquez can begin. Well, actually, no, it can't yet. Sorry, forgot. Instead, we gotta do some more trash talking between Caesar and Ariovistus. Ariovistus reaches out and decides that, hey, you know what, another attempt should be made before we go to battle. Let's talk this out. This time, though, it would be face-to-face. Caesar and Ariovistus have been passing messages to one another. But now, now they would actually get to meet face-to-face. It seemed that Caesar had done exactly what Ariovistus had asked. Because if you remember, after the first message was sent to Ariovistus, he sent back said, Hey, if you want to talk, come here yourself. Don't send a messenger. You come here. You talk to me. Well, he he did. He brought his army, but Caesar technically agreed to Ariovistus' terms. Now he was in Ariovistus' territory, and they can meet and talk. Caesar decides, you know what? Okay, sure. Let's have another meeting. And he's probably hoping that Ariovistus will actually agree to his terms, not test Rome. Don't test Rome. They just had a huge panic on their hands. He's probably still unsure if his army will hold its ground or not. And so his best option is that Ariovistus is cowed by the Roman legions in front of him, 
agrees to Caesar's terms, and that's that. The worst thing that could happen to Caesar at this point is that he goes to battle, he loses everything, he still survives the battle, and then he's kicked out of the triumvirate. And now it's just two people instead of three vying for power in Rome. So before they meet, Ariovista says, okay, we don't want any fighting to start, so only bring bodyguards made up of cavalry. No infantry involved. Now, Caesar claims that this was to limit the risk of fighting and to make sure that the meeting place did not become a center point in the battle. However, the argument could also have been made that Ariovistus knew that his cavalry was superior to Caesar's. And if there was any trickery involved, the German cavalry would quickly dispatch the Roman cavalry. Now, some of you might be going, are you sure about that? I mean, Romans are really good and all. I was like, okay, that's true. But cavalry-wise, they're not. Uh, They rely on their allies heavily when it comes to cavalry. In fact, as we continue this discussion of Julius Caesar and the Germans later on, we're going to see that he relies on Germanic cavalry to quell Gallic rebellions. So Ariovistus knows he has the superior cavalry. And that's what he demands. If we're going to meet, our bodyguard can only be cavalry, no infantry. And so for Caesar, this puts him in a pickle. The only cavalry he has is Gallic. Rome does not have a large cavalry wing. It never does. And the majority of it is always made up of non-Romans. So when Ariovistus makes this demand... Caesar is forced to meet the Germans with bodyguards made up of questionably loyal and questionably skilled warriors behind him. However, again, Caesar does not want to risk losing everything just because he's uncomfortable with his bodyguards. So, he cheats. He orders his cavalry to dismount. And he gives the horses to the men from the 10th Legion his most loyal legion. Now, talk about a serious burn for the Gauls. I'm, I'm sorry, French history podcast. That has to sting a little. And Caesar said, no, Calvary, you get off. I'm going to take my infantry. So he gives his men the horses, and he technically agrees to Ariovistus' demand. They're on horses. They can be called Calvary. So they decide to meet at a large mound on the plain in between the two armies. Both Caesar and Ariovistus will meet at the top of the mound. They'll only have ten bodyguards with them there, and the rest of the bodyguards will all hang back around the rim. After this is all sorted out, Caesar speaks first. And his message is virtually the same as before. Ariovistus was only where he was because of his friendship with Rome and Caesar, that Rome and the Adui went way back and Rome would protect her allies, and that Ariovistus should end his torment of the people and to not bring anyone from across the Rhine. Same thing, just a repeat. These are my demands. This is why you owe it to us. Ariovistus 
answers back with the same answers. No, this is why. But he adds in more detail. First, he states that he never came here on his own accord, but was called here by the tribes, which we know is true. He was called in as a mercenary to fight against the Adui. Second, he points out that the Gauls actually attacked him after he destroyed the Adui, not the other way around. I don't believe that as much. I, I believe Ariovistus took advantage of his allies and crushed them. But this is his story. Third, that the Romans were getting dangerously close to dominating Gaul and doing exactly what they were claiming Ariovistus was doing. Which, honestly, yeah, they were getting close to doing this. If Caesar keeps pushing, which he will, Gaul's going to be in his hands. Finally, this great alliance that Caesar keeps mentioning between Rome and the Adui, where did it come from? Because Rome has never stepped in before to help the Adui. And the Adui have never stepped in to help the Romans before. So when exactly did this grand alliance start? It seems to only have been in fruition since Ariovistus showed up. So he's calling what Caesar's saying bull. He then ends his comment with his own demand. And it's simple. Caesar, turn around, march your army back to where it came from. Leave my territory. If Caesar failed, then Ariovistus would crush his army, and there was a chance that Caesar could die. And he states, quote, Even if Ariovistus should put Caesar to death, he should do what would please many of the nobles and leading men of the Roman people. He had assurance of that from themselves through their messengers and could purchase the favor and the friendship of them all by Caesar's death. End quote. Now think about that. Think about what Ariovistus just said. If I killed you right now, your own government would give me whatever I wanted for getting rid of you. Senators, other members of the triumvirate, all these people who you claim to be representing would give me literally anything to bring them your head. That must have stung. I could literally see Caesar just stopping for a minute, just having to take a breath. And the impact of what Ariovistus has just said. And he mentions that he's received messages from the Roman Senate, from members in power in Rome, stating the fact that, hey, take care of Caesar. Now, does he know for a fact that Ariovistus had these letters? No. But still, that had to hurt. And you know the bodyguards heard this. Makes you wonder what the Roman bodyguards think about it. Now the Germans are probably going, oh snap, oh did you hear that? Oh, oh, sick burn, yeah. But the Romans, oh my goodness. Now in time, 
This statement will turn out to be rather prophetic, as we all know the Ides of March. Now Caesar continues, and he claims that after receiving this, and being told that Ariovistus would defeat his army unless Caesar just immediately left, he answered with logic, with calm and dignity. But in the end, he flat out refuses Ariovistus' demands. And at this point, Ariovistus' bodyguards at the base of the hill begin to fling insults and stones at their Roman counterparts. And Caesar retreats. Now he says, quote, I did not think proper to engage, lest after the enemy were routed, it might be said that they had been injured by him under the sanction of conference. Unquote. So Caesar's saying, we would have kicked their butts, but uh, we didn't, you know, we didn't want him to think that we would break the peace, so we left. I have my doubts on that. I really do. You see, Caesar's men were foot soldiers put on horses. And most foot soldiers don't really know how to fight on a horse. It's a fact of life. They don't fight on horses often, so how would they know how to? They know how to fight in formation. They know how to fight on foot. They literally had just gotten these horses the same day. There's no way they had any training. Now, take the German tribesmen. They've been fighting in the saddle all their lives. How do you think that's going to go down if there is a fight? I don't think Caesar and his bodyguard were going to win if a fight broke out. In fact, Caesar probably quickly turned and left realizing that if this got out of hand, he could end up being a prisoner of war and making a lot of people in Rome really happy. So two days after this failed attempt, Ariovistus sends another message, and he wants to talk again. However, Caesar doesn't go to meet Ariovistus. Instead, he sends his own messengers. And Ariovistus immediately puts them in chains, claiming that they're spies. Negotiations have failed. And Ariovistus decides that it's time to fight. Gathering his army, he marches around and behind Caesar. He cuts off Caesar's supply line. After two days, they've successfully repositioned themselves to be behind where Julius Caesar originally had his own line. The Swabi have control of the supply line, and they can wait out Caesar. And next week, we will discuss what Caesar's response is to Ariovistus' flanking maneuver. And we will finally conclude the Battle of Vasquez and control for Eastern Gaul. I hope you all have a great week, and I'll see you next Tuesday.